welcome back to yet another episode of Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line, talking to writers, directors, producers, casting agents, cinematographers, production designers, costumers, composers, sound editors, video editors, and so much more in television, film, we even get into the literary world on occasion, as well as music and stage. But today it's all about movies. After a very quick mention shortly about uh, the Creative Arts Emmy Awards over the weekend. Uh, but welcome. This is Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens. And as always... It's great to be here every Monday, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on AdrenalineRadio.com. You know, on AdrenalineRadio.com, the, the slogan is, we begin where traditional radio ends, and that has always been the case. Adrenaline Radio was one of the very first internet radio stations decades ago, and I'm talking decades ago, uh, and... Our beloved leader, Nick Federoff, has just been plugging along with this for many, many, many years now. Uh, and we are, we've got a global audience. I don't know if, if Nick's show has a global audience. Behind the Lens has a global audience. And welcome to our, our wonderful international audience who are always so loyal. Um, and as, mo as our regular listeners know, we've even got talent calling in from all over the globe. As a matter of fact, our guest today, who's going to be joining us at the midpoint of the show, is calling in from Switzerland. It's our first neutral country that we've had anyone call in from. So this is going to be fun. Um, and, but that is going to be Valerie McCaffrey is our guest today. And I can't wait for Valerie to join us. Uh, she is a renowned casting agent. I know many of, many of our filmmaking listeners out there have utilized uh, Valerie services for casting their films. And she does an incredible job. Um, she casts big ones, small ones. Uh, her work, Neo Ned, I think that might have been Jeremy Renner's very first film. She did the casting, Hard Candy. You know, fun animated films like Delhi Safari or some of my favorites, those beloved Lifetime and Hallmark Christmas movies. Uh, Christmas on Honeysuckle Lane with Alicia Witt. A Very Nutty Christmas, Melissa Joan Hart. But then films like Island of Dr. Moreau and Babe with James Cromwell. But in addition to her work as a casting agent, uh, Valerie also produces and writes and directs. She's very particular about the films that she chooses to write and direct. Um... They all say something. They're about issues that are important to Valerie. And the film we're going to talk about when she joins us later in the show is Dirty Bomb. It's a short film. I sincerely hope she makes a feature film out of it. It is a personal film to her. She has a personal connection to this story. It involves the development of the V-2 rocket by Germany during World War II. As some of you history buffs may know, the V-2 rocket was developed by uh, Werner von Braun, who was, ironically, strongly influenced by Robert Goddard, uh, who is credited as being ushering in the space age, and who is somebody that Buzz Aldrin has talked about numerous times in our interviews. Um, but the V-2 rocket, developed by von Braun, it was designed at Penamunda, which was a huge... Uh, munitions uh, factory design uh, compound. But uh, in August of 1943, Penamunda was bombed out by the RAF. And all production of rockets, including the V-2, were moved to Middlework. Uh, and the work was performed by prisoners in the Middle Baldora concentration camp. And a testament to these unsung heroes, uh, the prisoners who were working on building these V-2 rockets, they sabotaged the rockets uh, in the construction by not building them pursuant to spec. 
Uh, and this is, we see just a slice of this in Valerie's film. And uh, so I can't wait to talk to her about the history, the authenticity, and uh, this played a big part in this particular V2 rocket and this sabotage played a big part in the Battle of the Bulge in World War II. So we will talk more history and uh, V2 rockets and filmmaking with Valerie McCaffrey when she joins us. Very excited to have Valerie join us today. A lot of films, a lot of beautiful small films came out this past weekend and are coming out this upcoming weekend. Uh, this past weekend, a film that I am dearly in love with. I have not had a chance yet to transcribe my hour and a half interview with writer, director, and actor Larry Clark. The film is Three Days with Dad. And he takes a look at, it's an interesting perspective on death in, within a family. It's funny as can be. There's great truth and authenticity to it. They're the kind of things that people and fa family members, you know you've dealt with a lot of these instances uh, in your own lives, but we don't see them on film. Larry draws from his own experiences, and he goes there um, to, with great, great success. Um, the film, it's entertaining. The cast is phenomenal. Larry is a veteran ac character actor, and you've seen him for decades. Uh, so for him now to step into the directing arena, a writer-director with his, it's his freshman film, an amazing job. Um, he stars, along with him, Tom Arnold, comedian Mo Gaffney, Eric Edelstein, who's been on Behind the Lens before, uh, and of course, Brian Dennehy, Leslie Ann Warren, J.K. Simmons, David Ketchner, and... For all you General Hospital fans out there, one of our young faves, Hudson West, is also in the film. And be on the look, and Three Days with Dad is currently out in limited release right now. It will be expanding into VOD and DVD uh, down the line. I have all that information. Uh, you'll get that as soon as I get my interview out uh, with Larry. But for all you General Hospital fans out there, be on the lookout for this coming Friday because Hudson West is in another film called Bloodline. Um, he is just, Hudson is just moving and shaking in the film world. Wes Ramsey isn't the only general hospital actor who's got a film out. Hudson's got two. Um, the second one, Bloodline, it's, general hospital fans will appreciate this reference. It's closer to um, the tone of Hudson's character, Jake, dealing with Helena Cassadine in General Hospital. Um, Bloodline is an incredible film, and we're going to talk about that next week. But some other fun things, great small films that opened this weekend. Empathy, Inc. from Yadidja Gorsetman takes a look, an extreme look at extreme virtual reality through a narrative. Um, shot in black and white, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating. Uh, it draws on science. Mark Leidner's script draws on science and then expands from there as to how far extreme virtual reality can go, going beyond just feeling around and getting the sensation and immersion, but actually touching, tasting, smelling, and then inhabiting another body. Um, it is also out in limited release right now. Another great film shot in Philadelphia, What Death Leaves Behind from uh, Scott Hamilton and Rachel Afori. Scott is, uh, he's co-writer, director, cinematographer, and sound editor. And this deals with uh, transplantation and what many know to be cellular memory phenomena. Anybody who has had a transplant, anybody who has read anything on transplant, uh, organ transplantation, um, or you, you have experienced this with family members, 
you've heard stories about people who have had organ transplants and all of a sudden they want orange soda and they've never they never drank an orange soda in their life. But then they find out that the person whose organ they received loved orange soda. This is this is the tip of cellular memory phenomena. And what death leaves behind expands on that. It is based on visions that one of the film's producers, his cousin, was a trans had a transplant, and had visions and nightmares um, that were not just craving an orange soda that he had never craved before. These were violent. It was witnessing murders and really dark, dark hallucinations. And from that came the story of what death leaves behind. It boasts incredible performances, a breakout performance from Khalil McMillan, Chris Mann, um, just and Aaron O'Brien. Aaron has been on the show before. Aaron is unrecognizable as she goes to the dark side, to a very goth dark side with an indelible performance. Um, again, and then a beautiful score from Tassos Iliopoulos. Um, but what death leave, leaves behind is out there right now. See it, see it, see it. And of course, one of my favorites that just opened on Friday in limited release. Uh, if you're in L.A., it's at Arena Cine Lounge. Stars my friend Barbara Crampton, Replace, from Norbert Keel. You heard me talk about this film for the first time back in 2017 after L.A. Film Festival. It was one of my top three must-see festival picks that year. It remains one of my top picks of the of the year this year now that it has distribution and it is out and it is beauteous if if for nothing else it is beauteous but then you have a compelling story and commentary on beauty on ageism um it's fascinating written by richard stanley and norbert directed by norbert keel cinematographer is tim peter coon it's outstanding and of course it stars barbara Crampton and Rebecca Forsyth. Um, these, these are just a few films that are out right now uh, that I can't encourage you enough to see. Last week, we briefly touched on Depraved, Larry Fessenden's new film, which I am in love with. It is out, out, out. See it, see it, see it. Um, it was a toss-up today whether we were I was going to uh, run our my exclusive interview with Larry or my exclusive with two other incredible filmmakers. And because of time, we're going to go with my, my alternate choice. My exclusive interview with Scott Beck and Brian Woods, uh, co-writers and directors of the new movie Haunt. Uh, most recently, you know their work as being the writers of A Quiet Place, which was directed by John Krasinski and starred Krasinski and just took the world by storm last year. Now... They're back with Haunt. The premise is simple. Group of friends get together, Halloween, and go to a quote-unquote extreme haunted house. Uh, And what unfolds is unlike anything you've seen in a haunted house before. The cinematography is courtesy of Ryan Samuel. Ryan is one of the hottest cinematographers out there. I have been admiring and loving his work since he first started working with Jim Mickle a number of years ago doing Stakeland, Stakeland 2, We Are What We Are, Cold July. Ryan's work is exemplary. It is showcased to its fullest here in Haunt. Um, The cast is impeccable, Um, but I'll let you listen to Scott and Brian talk about writing, directing, casting, cinematography, score, sound, and everything in between in bringing a haunted house and the story of haunt to life. Take a listen. Hey, this is Scott Beck. Hey, and this is Brian. How's it going? It's going great. How are you guys? We're doing wonderfully. Thank you. Well, first of all, I must congratulate you on haunt. This is sinister. It is twisted. It is so much fun. And you brought in Ryan Samuel as your cinematographer. <laughs> yes, Ryan is, is fantastic. We absolutely loved working with him. Ryan is such a talent. 
I have been following his work since he started with Jim Mickle. Oh, yes, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that, that was the work that made us want to hire him. He did such great work with Jim Mickle. Yeah, clear, especially in, like, I think the seminal work was We Are What We Are, what he did yeah. for yeah. Jim with that one, and then what he did with Johannes, Johannes Roberts for Strangers Pray at yeah. Night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that whole sequence by the swimming pool alone was pretty fantastic. Oh, so. and you deliver so, and this is one reason I'm so thrilled you went with Ryan, because your visuals here are so gorgeous. They're polished, they look beautiful, but the way that you, that the cinematography heightens your production design and the way you make use of negative space, which a lot of quote-unquote horror directors forget to do, Negative space is so much a part of the story, and you take a look at the third act and your knife room and the way it's designed and the way the light is done and your frame, camera framing is done to reflect off the blades of the knives. That is, no pun intended, killer. <laughs> well, thank you so much for saying that. Really, really great to hear uh hear that assessment and the visuals are something we take a lot of pride in and work out we, scott and i love to storyboard we come from that kind of hitchcockian school of filmmaking and and ryan just really embraced it and had so much fun with the lighting and composition and it, it was a really fun movie to shoot oh and and of course you just you know that just jumps on top of your production design and I have to say, the way you have utilized and created um, the incredible, the corridors, the trap doors, you keep giving us something new to look at in a very contained space. Well, thank you for saying that. I mean, um, we, we owe a lot to our production designer, Austin Gorg, um, who we had hired off of a few movies he are directed that weren't even in the horror genre. It was... Um, like Neon Demon and Spike Jones's Her and La La Land, and I would say even Rampart. Um, yeah. you know yeah. what he did. What he did for Oren with Rampart's amazing. Exactly. Like we just really adored his visual strengths, and we're we're hoping to find out how he would uh, apply that to a haunted house movie, essentially. And one of the fun things was, as soon as he was hired, he revealed that as a teenager, he actually had built haunted house attractions oh. as a kid. And so this very much was um, an extension of, like, his childhood dream of just being able to, you know, build essentially a functioning haunted house with all these different corridors. And it, it became some somewhat of a dream factory for all of us to walk through. Uh, because each one, each the design of each room, each corridor is distinctly different. As I'm watching the film, I could so see this being turned into episodic television or a web series with each room its own show, so to speak. Right, right. Awesome. You know, just so well done. But it all starts on the page. So, and this comes from the two of you. There is no, it is unquestionable the vision that you guys have, the imaginations that you guys have. <clears throat> Makes me wonder what you were reading as a small child for a bedtime story. <laughs> um, but you had to create this on the page. I'm sure you're not just writing. Oh, we go. they go down a, har a corridor. Harper goes down a corridor. Evan goes first. Harper follows. Somehow, I don't think that's how you crafted this. I mean, yeah, to, to a certain degree, like as writers, we always try to make things feel as visual as possible. Um, you know, when we were, for instance, writing A Quiet Place, that was a rather unorthodox um, script in terms of peppering in sound design, and we would shrink uh, fonts when things got quieter. We'd have a single word on a page to emphasize how loud a certain sound would, and try to create this roadmap that could then be applied to not just you know, the filmmaker behind it, but also all departments um, that would end up collaborating on the film. And so Haunt was uh, similar, maybe not as um, aggressive as, as Quiet Place was, but certainly in terms of the length that we use or um, little visual tricks that we do on the page. Um, like for instance, when the group gets split up in the maze and they go dip down different corridors, um, any corridor that would be, you know, on the right side, we would right align all that text. If they were on the left side, we'd left align the text and just try to create this experience for anyone that's reading the script to really feel deeply invested in the journey on, on the page. So it's, it's certainly, um, 
we, we try to approach it as its own type of art form when it's actually in the script format, while still acknowledging that it's a blueprint, essentially, for a bunch of talented people to come on board. And how descriptive did you get when you were writing as to what each of these corridors or, you know, House of Horrors rooms would be? Um, we tried to be as specific as possible, if only to give us a place to start the conversations. Um, I would say, like, an example of the evolution of how it is is... Um, there's the guess the body part sequence where, you know, everybody gets to stick their arm into um, uh, a hole and you don't know exactly what's going to be on the other side. And with that, it was all about figuring out the tension and the pace and when will the audience expect the scare to hit. But as screenwriters, let's withhold that a little longer and, and push it a little further. And then you bring on your art department team and they're like, let's create this, uh, this wall to look like an x-ray machine and then create this different lighting pattern. And then all of a sudden... You have Ryan Samuel coming in suggesting how to light it to give it atmosphere. And so it really becomes a creative handshake between all these different departments. So we, we try to give a semblance of what that is on the page, but we also trust the process of bringing in people that are more smarter and, and talented than us to, to execute it. <laughs> and and uh, I can just imagine you guys sitting there and like listing all the things you wanted to make sure you included in this haunted house. Yeah. Essentially, it was a checklist of everything that we, um, you know, what scared us as kids. Um, and, and also, like, getting the design, like, because we've all been in a million haunted houses, and we love we love going to them, but, you know, designing the ones of, from our dreams that we've never been in, which for us was a little bit more script back, a little bit more about the silence, and, um, and, and rather than being an assault on the senses that so many haunted houses are. And we are interrupting our exclusive interview with Scott Beck and Brian Woods talking haunt because Valerie McCaffrey is calling in early from Switzerland. Um, I don't want to keep somebody calling in from Switzerland on hold for about 10 more minutes. So we're going to bring Valerie live right now and then we're going to end her probably around quarter of uh, about 15 minutes before the show's end and then we'll we'll pick up the haunt interview with Scott and Brian then. So right now I'm so thrilled to welcome Valerie McCaffrey. Hi, Valerie. <laughs> Hello. How are you? Well, I am <laughs> beyond excited to have you on the show today. Beyond. Oh, thank you. I'm, I was, I was so worried about this show to make sure that I, you know, <laughs> got everything right to get here on time. So, <laughs> Um, thank you for having me. I really uh, appreciate it. Valerie, this is, it's an absolute privilege to have you. I absolutely love Dirty Bomb. I want a feature film. This is such an <laughs> This is such an important film. It's an important chapter of not just World War II history, but history. And it's it's a portion that very few people know about um, people don't realize that there were over 200 of those v2 rockets that failed and all because of these prisoners in the concentration camp who took it upon themselves to sabotage internally so that those rockets would fail um, and these are people that ended up they lost their lives because of the sabotage and yes, these are the stories that, that people need to hear about. And I'm so glad that you're telling this. But you have a very personal connection of what sparked this story. Yes, my uncle served in the, in the Battle of the Bulge. Yes, and um, he, the GIs used to call those, uh, bombs, dirty bombs, mm -hmm. you know, the ones that misfired. And, uh, you know, he put it in his journal, actually. Wow. And um, when I was with my cousins over the weekend, we started talking about our uncle, and this story came up, and I wasn't aware of the actual missile, the V2, or, or that they called them dirty bomb, or this even happened. And when I discovered the truth about what had gone on, uh, I had to make the movie. Because mm -hmm. I thought that, first of all, this 
act had saved American soldiers' lives. Mm-hmm. It helped end the war early. It also, um, I felt, changes the course of history because the V-2 bomb was the actual was the actual compressor that was in our Saturn that got us to the moon. Mm-hmm. So all these German scientists were um, surrendered to the U.S. And they formed NASA eventually. Yeah, they eventually so, they eventually did. I think uh, Redcast they uh, was founded with a lot of these scientists, but many of them, like uh, Werner von Braun, they admired and had spoken with Robert Goddard before the war had ever started. Science was freely exchanged, and of course, Goddard is considered to be the you know, ushering in the space age. So they were piggybacking him, and then came to the states to the Allies after the war and can help continue that work. It's a circle that's quite interesting. Yes, and I, you know, I felt like, you know, when you're in, when you're in a concentration camp, you're the victim. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I felt that they were the heroes because they, they, they took action and they risked their lives actually... Um, they were all, the 200 of them were accused, and none of them would say who had done the sabotage. So what they did was they hung 200 of them in the tunnel, in the underground tunnel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's And it's I just horrific. felt like it's, I just felt like I had to make this story, you know? So. How did you go about you know, you you had the basics of what you knew through your uncle, through his journal. Um, how did you go about researching to get the little details to sit down and write this script? Well, I ended up watching a lot of documentaries, and I ended up watching a lot of interviews, and I did a I did a lot of research mm-hmm. just through the internet and reading. And talking to, um, we also interviewed a Holocaust survivor. Um, and then when I finalized the script, I gave it to the Museum of Tolerance to make sure that what I had written, uh, there wasn't anything that was not um, true. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got the blessing from the researcher there at the Museum of Tolerance. Uh, I had added a... Um, I added a woman in the in the camp, and uh, he told me there were no women in the camp. I was trying to do the Me Too thing. It didn't work. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, uh, but, yes, there were no women in the camp that worked uh, on the V2. There were women in the camp, but not working on the V2. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and so then I ended up, you know, we, we had actual photographs of the um, of what it looked like uh, in the tunnel, and then we duplicated that with my production designer to make sure mm-hmm. that we got exactly how it looked. Yeah, I mean, um, the authenticity is spectacular, Valerie. I mean, I have seen old photos because I know it became, after the war, there were people going into the tunnels believing that would be, you know, the treasure may have uh, stolen treasure, the Nazis may have stored it there. They did not, but still, they looted, they, they went through things, and finally, I think in 2004, um, Germany, they, they closed the whole thing off so no one could have access anymore because they just could not take care of it. But there are quite a few pictures of what was under there, and to see what you have on the screen, it's chilling. It is chilling. Well, thank you. I, I wanted to make an impact. You know, I didn't want to make a sanitized version of something that was so horrific that these, these uh, you know, prisoners had to endure. And the fact that, you know, the tunnel was made um, and with 60,000 uh, prisoners and 25,000 of them died in that, in that tunnel and didn't, see the, uh, didn't even see the light of day. And it was it was a horrific thing that 
was done uh, because they had, well, they had to speed up the time because they were losing the momentum in the war. Mm -hmm. And uh, they obviously didn't care about anyone's lives. They just needed to get that tunnel made Mm -hmm. so that they could build that build that missile secretly. Yeah, I mean, after Pinamunda was bombed in, in 1943, that the Nazis started panicking because it put them totally off their world domination schedule. Um, so, yeah, that it was mm-hmm. very critical. They really were putting the pressure on the prisoners to not only b- and- build the tunnel, but, you know, do the assembly line and build these V2s. Exactly. I love that you've done your research. I love that. I I am a huge <laughs> I'm a huge history buff, and I love World War II. Uh, and oh, yeah. I have I have talked to so many directors and dug in to all these strange things, and I knew about the V two through knowing Buzz Aldrin for many years, because Buzz, mm-hmm. one of you know. He considers his works, his teaching, uh, Robert Goddard, uh, you know, a huge mentor with with physics, with the space race. Um, so I learned a lot from Buzz. And every time you talk to Buzz, you got to go research and dig because you're fascinated. So, uh, you know, over the years, you just accumulate all these little facts that, okay, you figure maybe one day you'll be on Jeopardy and use them. Uh, or you're a film critic, mm-hmm. and they all come together when you're watching <laughs> when you're watching historical films. Uh, but, well, I, I don't I don't know if you know this part of I don't know if you know this part of it, but you know one of one of um, Warner Van Braun's scientists was the you know they called it the Oslo Papers, mm-hmm. where he actually went to Oslo, went into a hotel room, wrote a letter to someone that was had the ear of Churchill and he had it delivered, this letter delivered. And when Churchill received the letter, he didn't believe it because it was one of the German scientists that was working with Werner Van Braun. And the German scientists was so worried that they were creating something of such a mass destruction that he wanted it stopped. Mm -hmm. And even though he was working side by side, so when so Churchill didn't believe him, but then he sent an air uh, an airplane a spy airplane, and they confirmed that yes, Penamunde there was there was um, you know building of rockets and 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 other things that was going on there, and that's when they that's when they ended up bombing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Penamunde. Yeah, so it's it, it's interesting because um, this particular scientist was. Uh, didn't want to reveal his treason until after his death. Mm-hmm. And probably a smart thing. Yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> probably a and, and actually. <laughs> but what's interesting also is that Penamunda, that finding out about that facility and its bombing, that was actually addressed through uh, partially in Shining Through, the movie with Michael Douglas and Melanie Griffith. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a big yes. part of that, was getting the plans for Pinamunda so that it could be verified and, and the Allies could go in and bomb it. So all this comes together, Valerie, you know? <laughs> How, what, the most compelling a- aspect of Dirty Bomb, I have to say, the riveting part, the humanizing part, is your casting of Ido Samuel as Aaron. I am a huge, huge fan of Ido's work after seeing him in Rama Burstein's uh, Fill the Void. He, mm-hmm. There's something about his eyes and the camera, and you can oh. see into his soul, and you capture that as well here. It is... You and your cinematographer, um, Jacob, it is just, it is, you cannot look away. You see in, you see his eyes, you see his face, and you cannot look away. You feel the pain. You also feel the pride of what he's surreptitiously doing. 
It, it's, it's amazing. This is why you are a superb casting agent, Valerie, because you, 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 <laughs> you, you can, you spot <laughs> talent and you know where they work. And, <laughs> you know, and this, you. this is one of your finest castings, I have to tell you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. He, he really worked extremely hard. He lost a lot of weight to play the roles. Um, and, uh, you know, just, you know, he worked really hard. He, he really put his heart and soul into it. And, and, you know, he delivered the goods and it really makes the movie. Um, because, you know, you can have great cinematography, you can have great shots, but if your actors are not, uh, committed or delivering what the character is expecting them to deliver, then of course you've got nothing. Mm-hmm. So it, it all has to work together. And he, you know, he's got family to me now and yeah, I just love him. So uh, he's, and, and joining him, you've got Robert Arce, veteran actor. He's been around. Mm-hmm. You see him in all kinds yes. of stuff. And of course, Michael Troutman, um, Hello. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't get slouchy people here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you got yeah. top-notch people to come on to this film. You know, a, a 15-minute mm. and 40-second short that I do want to see as a feature film. I'm going to say it again. Um, they come into this. You, you don't get people like this without quality goods on the page. It's that yeah. simple. Yes. You know, what was the reaction? Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. What was the reaction from the actors when they read this script? Well, they were, you know, many of them were, <clears throat> I had to make sure that they were educated on the on the World War II because, you know, many of them were very young. And right. They, they might have been a generation away from that or two generations away from that. So I made them watch, um, you know, documentaries. I made them, you know, really educate themselves on World War II. And I gave them specific characters. Each one of them had a different place where they came from because, you know, when the young boys all came together, they came from all over the, all, all over the country. Mm-hmm. And they were untrained um, when they were thrown into the Battle of the Bulge. They were not prepared for right. The weather, um, and and they, you know, they didn't expect this surprise attack. Right. And that's what people don't realize is that, and that's when, you know, I was looking at the soldiers. I wanted to tell a linear story because I wanted them to both get, you know, come together in the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, you have to understand, like, this was that's why it was so important because right. of our also our soldiers were were dying by the numbers it was the highest number of um yeah the ca- of, fatalities of fatality and can- yeah within a short period of time yeah so that's why it was you know i wanted to show the how it, how even more of a of of this act was so uh detrimental and important to you know to the war mm-hmm. and you know as as part and parcel to this you know we have to look at your visual design we have to look at your construct your production design creating the quote-unquote barracks if we can call them that that the prisoners mm-hmm. were sleeping in i write down to the wooden bunks and it's not even good wood. You even had the wood aged in distress to look like it was going to crack and crumble. Um, and then just mm-hmm. and just straw, not even whole straw, but the gleaned little short pieces that are left out in the field as straw mats. Then we look at the Allied soldiers in the snow, in a forest, and the one with gangrene that is totally turned to necrosis on both feet. You didn't shy away from anything here, including no. the lynchings, the hangings. You know, how, mm-hmm. what, were yeah. the, what were the challenges that you faced 
to put together the visuals of Dirty Bomb? Well, you know, I'd like to say that um, I think God had something to do with this because it just, everything fell into place, even though I I was feeling so uh, worried that it wouldn't. Um, there were just, it was, it was just led, it Everything that I thought was a problem ended up being, being solved on its own. And, um, you know, the challenge was, of course, you know, getting the locations, um, especially the concentration camp. And I come from Fresno, and I didn't want to shoot something that had been seen before. And they actually gave me, um, it's a juvenile dis- detention center that was built in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And they actually gave me access to the entire thing. Wow! And then the and then the production designer was had never production designed a movie before in her life, if you can believe that. And I just showed her pictures of what I wanted, and she delivered it. She actually worked for a Halloween um, haunt that is one of the third biggest and most popular one in in Cal in in the United States. Mm-hmm. So she knew how to how to, you know, capture my vision or the vision that was needed. And so I, I'm so I was so thrilled, and it was, you know, I didn't think I was going to make it. <laughs> actually, <laughs> yeah. And then then you bring in your cinematographer, um, and I have to tell you, your visual tonal bandwidth, uh, the visual, the tone. The seep, the golden sepia uh, mm-hmm. that Jacob creates, it's beautiful. Um, but then you also have the stark contrast of the bright white and the snow and the forest with the Allied soldiers. Mm-hmm. But it's that golden, that golden sepia that we see in the barracks as it's shining on Ito's face, and or yeah. and he's mm-hmm. just getting a scrap of bread for probably the first time in weeks and then even and mm-hmm. then down underground where they are and I, I i loved you actually got a semi-vintage soldering iron there i noticed <laughs> it's yeah. it's semi-vintage it's semi-vintage mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but uh but the but the lighting that, that Jacob creates down there to spot just one or two little things. It's just fascinating, and it really becomes so immersive and all-consuming as you're watching this. So I'm curious how the two of you came up with the lighting design and that color, that, that tonal bandwidth of the, of the light and color. Well, we wanted to... Um, we wanted to create a, you know, uh, it's a period piece, right? So, mm-hmm. and, and also having to deal uh, with light and how it it helped tell our, our story. And when um, the production designer and the, and, and uh, Kuba is his nickname, uh, worked together on, on creating the, the vision that, you know, we needed in order to create, you know, the time period. So it's always with the production designer that that really works with the, with the director of photography. And I think that that was, that was really um, very, very integral, you know, that the, the colors that she uses to, to build, you know, the table or the barracks and, um, and then him, him light we're doing the lighting and we're we're testing it as we go actually you know mm-hmm. because many times we didn't have all the the time for rehearsal yeah it, it's so, it's a low budget no budget short film i'm surprised you had any time for any rehearsal <laughs> oh yeah no we were we were we were running and gunning sometimes you know but uh, we got it done and we were, you know, I think, you know, everyone was extremely 1,000% about this project because they knew how important of a story it was. Mm-hmm. And it was about something. And, yeah. What was the most so challenging, it, it, what was the most challenging aspect of making 
of getting Dirty Bomb made. It, you know, it, it, well, you know, go ahead. You know, it's um, it first comes down to you know raising the money, and you know sometimes on shorts it's always about like little comedies or little romantic comedies yeah. or things like that. And this was this was a different journey. Most people didn't really understand like you know we're doing a historical uh, drama you know, World War II, and, you know, it was a big undertaking. So we were in two locations and had to raise the money for people to be put up in, you know, cabins or hotel rooms and, you know, given money to eat and being fed and their salary. So it ended up, you know, being shot in two different parts, you know, two different time periods because the snow we shot in, March, and then the concentration camp was shot in July. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it was It was a production, you know, we had to design the production accordingly, you know, everybody's availability as well. And, uh, you know, and sometimes we had crew that were different from the first part of the shoot. Mm-hmm. But I think raising money, of course, is always a challenge, you know, even... Uh, and, but especially for this one, because it was really something that I wanted an authentic, authentic uh, cinematic uh, experience when you watched it. Mm-hmm. So you you need to hook up with writer director Jeff Fry. Jeff did also did a World War II short called Krieg, and here again, it's very authentic, right down to aircraft. He shot it over an extended period of time because he wanted the authenticity. And sometimes there were different mm-hmm. crew people showing up. But again, it's historical drama, which you don't, mm-hmm. as you said, you don't see that. It, you, know, you don't see it often enough on the big screen, let alone as, as a short. And right. Right. so, I mean, for me, to have a chance to see something like Dirty Bomb and talk to you and to see something like Krieg and talk to Jeff, um, to me, that's uh, it's just fabulous because these are the little films. These are the films and the slices of history that people need to know about. And they need to know about it authentically. Yes, absolutely. You know, I'm uh, I, I, I'm Armenian, and I my you know grandparents suffered the genocide. Mm-hmm. So this story is specifically you know important to me because I think um, you know humans doing this to other human beings is just not acceptable, and I just admire these prisoners who knew that they were going to be killed by doing the sacrifice. They sacrificed their lives for others, and and I had to make this story. And I, I there was no there was no no maybe in this mm-hmm. equation. I had to make it, and I had to make it, you know, with my heart and soul into it. Um, that's how I do it anyway, in everything I do. <laughs> but um, but this is something I needed to honor those uh, those prisoners those. Those lit, those two hundred uh, mm-hmm. unnamed uh, prisoners who sacrificed their lives. So it's uh, I feel proud that I was able to do it. Well, um, I I am thrilled that and humbled that you did it. Um, as I said, it's 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 an important story that needs to be told. And with that in mind, where can everyone see Dirty Bomb? I know it's actually going to be in the theater this Friday, the 20th, uh, at the Lemley in Encino, correct? That's it, at 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock this Friday. If you're in Southern California, you can see Dirty Bomb at the at the Encino Town and Country Lemley, which is right up there That's on... Right. Vin- and it's running for... Yeah, and it's running for a week. Okay, now... Will it be going anywhere else um, on the fest circuit or going to DVD, something like an HD shorts or anything like that uh, planned so far? 
Well, I think we're talking about what the what the future is for the short. Um, you know, it's done a, a lot of the festival runs so far. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's won awards and, you know, um, has gone to Cannes and uh, won in Madrid for Best Short, won in Manhattan Film Festival for Best Short. You know, so it's won it's won some awards and it's done its it's it's done its um, done its run. It's run basically. <laughs> Well, Valerie, I just, again, uh, everybody needs to see this film. Unfortunately, everybody can't see it yet. But <laughs> but yeah. if you're in the L.A. area, um, do yourself a favor and go to the Encino Town and Country, Lemley. It's on Ventura Boulevard. It's easy to find. Um, and see this film at 1 p.m., is it every day it's showing at 1 p.m. starting Friday? Yes. Mm-hmm. For, every day. For a week. Oh, Valerie, I can't thank you enough for making this film and also for calling in today from Switzerland. <laughs> I know, right? Are you sitting there eating great Swiss chocolate, looking at the Alps as you're talking to us? <laughs> yeah, I, t- I took a boat ride and, and got home, got, got here just in time. Oh, my gosh. Uh, but it's yeah, it's quite beautiful here. Um, and, uh, you know, I was kind of getting the feel because everyone speaks German and, you know, kind of helps me with the long feature that I've written, too, as well. So, And, yes, a long feature is next on your agenda. Yes. I'm, uh, I'm doing the final touches on it now. So, Well, when you get it done, I hope you'll come back on the show and talk about it. You know I will. Uh, Valerie, thank you, thank you so much. This has been an absolute, an absolute treat getting to talk to you today. Oh, thank you very much. I really appreciate you, you taking the time to talk to me, you know, and and being so passionate about it. I love it. Uh, Well, I look forward to talking to you again. In the meantime, go have some Swiss chocolate for me. Okay, I will. Thanks. Thanks, Valerie. (laughs) All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye now. And that was Valerie McCaffrey, writer, director. Another aspect of her multifaceted talents. Uh, Talking about Dirty Bomb. Okay. Uh, Pam, shall we go back? Shall we resume Haunt? Um, she's looking at me with this blank, with this, uh, we shall resume. Okay, we're going to jump back in now and pick up where we left off with our exclusive with Scott Beck and Bryant Wood, and Bryant Wood, Bryant Woods, talking about haunt. So we're going to shift gears from World War II and go back to a haunted house. Uh, yeah, it's fun. You know, now, does it make a difference for the two of you? Now, you wrote The Quiet Place. There are a lot of jump out of your your seats, scare the bejesus out of you moments. Um, John was directing it. Here, you two are directing this one and you're writing it. Is it easier for you to direct it, especially with something this visual, um, knowing what you have on the page? Or is it uh, more of a burden to you? Is it more difficult? to bring what you have on the page to life? Um, I think the intent is always creating a script that's visual enough that, um, you know, anybody could could pick it up and and enact that vision. But I think for us, we love writing for ourselves to direct. Um, And so Han very much was exciting to get behind the camera and be able to, you know, enact the sound design as, as one of the biggest tools. It's one of the reasons we wrote Quiet Places because we knew sound design was a key aspect of that, but especially with Haunt, um, you know, we wanted to let that be one of the bigger special effects. And we even brought on some of our collaborators from A Quiet Place that did the sound design work um, to bring them on and actually do some of the work on, on Haunt. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- that's one of the great things about this film. So often everybody refers to a lot of horror films as B-movies. This is so not a B-movie. Um, at every level your production values are so high and not a moment is wasted. And it's be, and a large part of that is because you then bring in Terrell Gibson as your editor 
And yeah. I'm a huge fan of trials going back to the man who shook the hand of Vicente Fernandez, um, yeah. Bernie Borgnine's last movie that he did for Ilya Petridis. And then yeah. and Ballad of Lefty Brown that he did for, um, that he just did that was starred Bill Pullman. And yeah. just for Jared Moshe. Um, Terrell has. We're also, we're also fans of the man who shook the hand of Sunday Fernandez. Yeah, uh, Elia is one of our old filmmaker friends, and that's actually how we first uh, were introduced to Terrell. And what we loved about Terrell's sensibility is that it's very steeped in character. Mm-hmm. Um, like the movie he did, uh, The Kings of Summer, was one of our favorites yes. of, of 2013. And. Um, that was kind of our approach with all the different co- collaborators that we were trying to bring on board is bring on people that aren't only um, artists that have worked on horror movies. And instead they're bringing in outside influences that may be more character based or maybe it's more visually designed um, and, and try to use their expertise to help uh, make the film feel maybe a little more than what your average haunted house film might be. Mm-hmm. And, and I see that and I feel that with Terrell's editing. It very much, you got, just as they gave, brought to Ballad of Lefty Brown that high noon moment, um, we get a high noon moment in Haunt. We, we, get, we get, you know, Nathan coming in, like, on his white horse to face off and to save Harper. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, well said. Yeah. So, I mean, I just, I love that sensibility. But you said you mentioned one of the key aspects is that Terrell, as an editor, is very, very invested in character, and that's something that you do so well in your scripts. And here with this ensemble, you have great investment in the characters individually and as an ensemble. Well, thank you. Thanks for saying that. One of our inspirations was Richard Linklater and the films that he's done, like Everybody Wants Some, and before that, Days and Confused. He, he always creates these amazing ensembles with lots of different excellent actors who just feel so natural and real and the roles feel lived in. And, and that's something we also talk a lot about with our producer, Eli Roth, who is certainly more known for his gore and his um, and the kind of amazing violent set pieces that he does. But what was interesting that you might not expect is that all of our conversations with Eli were about character and making sure um, the characters were really kind of relatable and, and likable and, and he felt really strongly and rightly so that we need to care about the characters in order to be afraid for them and, um, and we took all of his mentoring to heart. He was such a great partner. Well, you take a look at something from Eli like the Green Inferno and yeah. If you don't like those characters, you really don't care if they get cannibalized. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, it's very, character is very important and it's something that we saw in spades from you with A Quiet Place, but it's not something that we typically see that often in a horror film. It's it's the gore, the thrills, the chills. And yeah, is, is somebody going to throw up or pass out? Yeah, sometimes that gets lost. What we often hear from studio executives or producers is uh, you know like just write me a, a bunch of unlikable characters that we want to see get killed and, and you know of course that, that never works right like you have to there's no investment or enjoyment in watching unlikable people in any scenario certainly not getting um, getting killed uh, you, you want to really uh, be invested you know totally agree and with your characters you've got to cast the right people number one I am just just thrilled beyond belief at seeing Will Britton as Nathan. I mean, I I I saw him in the film William, where he plays yeah. the half Neanderthal, half human in modern day, and he blew my mind. Um, to see him here, wow! Um, Katie Stevens is amazing as Harper, but then Andrew Caldwell. You bring in Andrew, and he's so perfectly cast because that character of Evan is so effortless in providing some self-deprecating sarcasm and humor. He lightens some of the darkest moments without making a mockery out of them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. How, how yeah, d- I mean, the whole cast process was something that we tried to make as organic as possible in terms of, like, just feeling um, a bit of the, the reality behind the characters. And, and certainly with Katie, it was... Um, a lot of fun to cast her and we cast her off tape um, and 
we felt like, oh my God, she's exactly who Harper is. And then when she finally was up to set, um, we met her in you know real life, and we're like, oh, she is totally different, but she has this talent to put on like this this mask and just fade into um, you know this character that has these vulnerabilities and this trauma. And um, totally agree about Will. Like Will is somebody that caught her eye in uh, Richard Linklater's Everybody Wants Some. And that was more from Scott Beck and Brian Woods talking about Haunt. There's still more of that interview, but you're going to have to go to BehindTheLensOnline.net uh, in, order, in order to get the rest of it because we are all out of time today. Uh, and, yeah, we can't, and, yeah, we can't run over another 10 minutes. Um, so, as I said, we are all out of time, unfortunate as it, that may be. Um, again, thank you to Valerie McCaffrey for giving us a call from Switzerland to talk about Dirty Bomb. Um, you will get, and please, all these little films that, that came out this weekend and a couple more coming out this Friday, see them, see them, see them. Some of them are available on VOD. The majority of them are in theaters. They do have limited theatrical release. See them, support the little indie filmmakers. And next week, Bill Haney is with us. I always love Bill Haney and his topical documentaries. Next week is going to be no different. So until then, I'm Debbie Elias. This is Behind the Lens. (laughs) 